Will, uh, how the is your Christmas going along? <laughs> um, you having a good holiday? Yeah, yeah, I sure is, uh, am. Well, gosh darn it, I am. Happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, you, you excited for the for the new Star Wars? That new Star Wars is going to be pretty, it's pretty exciting, huh? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, well, everybody, this is Elwood Limits, and it's the episodic podcast. <laughs> you got that straight. Uh, yeah, hey, everybody, this is uh, Will. <laughs> and, and I'm F- Lucas. What are, you, what are you using? Is that is? Do you have like this a is, button that th- does that? Th- this is the uh, the bleep app. I downloaded oh. off the Apple App Store, and it um, uh, uh, it's pretty sketchy looking. It's just a big button that says bleep on it. Uh, you know, very high tech stuff. Uh, and also it advertised like over two thousand other button apps that okay. could be downloaded from the same company. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up while we while we talk here. But uh, <laughs> oh no, we can't both we can't both be bleeping. That's just I feel like we gotta give the listeners a break. Yeah, no, I I mean I I can only promise that I won't uh, I won't use it too much. Oh, but uh, I heard something. I heard something back there. It, oh yeah, it's I just it's installing. Um, I mean it's a lot it's a lot better than the uh, the tone that I use for uh, uh, to bleep out our swears. Oh yeah, do you do I I uh Yeah, I just generate, I feel like I haven't went back and listened to like a really sweary episode. Uh yeah, I just generate I just use a uh, uh, generate tone and it just creates kind of just a flat note. Uh it doesn't sound like the TV bleep at all. Oh, oh gosh, I can hear it. <laughs> it's so it's so ominous when I hear it in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a great episode for oh, you today. No. <laughs> This is fun. I like this. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, welcome, everybody. It's Elwood City Limits. And hey, welcome to our over 300 Twitter followers. Whoa. That's all I wanted for Christmas was some more clout. Some more clout. Some more uh, Twitter followers. And so I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Uh, I hope this never gets old. It probably will, but uh, right now it's great. Oh, uh, uh, and, and one more housekeeping thing while we're talking about this. Uh, yeah. my, my little sister uh, got one of the Elwood City Limits t-shirts. They came in the mail. Good quality stuff. Got the classic logo shirt in Arthur Orange. And mm. you can find that shirt as well as our brand new Will and Lucas shirt, uh, which which is a drawing of me and Will over viewing all of Elwood City and some of our favorite characters from the show. Uh, those can all be found at the Elwood City Libbits Teespring store, which you can hear the address for in the middle of the show. And make sure that if you uh, if you end up getting one of our pieces of merchandise, take a picture of yourself wearing it if you're comfortable. And uh, I mean, first of all, it would just I just want to see how it how it fits on you. And we can also share it on our social media if you like. Uh, that would be really cool. I just uh, but let us know if you get one either way, and just uh, let us know about the quality. We'd really like to know. Uh, we got a bunch of cool designs up there, so check it out. Um, Lucas, it is also a good time to be thankful for the greatest gift of all. Greater than 300 Twitter followers, greater than, uh, an admittedly fantastic design by a friend of the show, Josh Owen. It's, uh, 
Uh, it's the time to be thankful for, like I say, greatest gift of all, our Patreon subscribers, our patrons over at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And among them can claim uh, to be uh, Aaron DeFilippo and Alex, Caitlin Harrington, Chandler LaFave Boten, Christine Wong, Sierra S., Crescent Fresh, Dan, Mike Dawson Silva, Emily K., Froppy, Ian Collis, Jake Bailey, Joe Sue, John DeLong, John Griswold, Kat, Kaylin Krogull, Kevin Noon, Kristen, Leanne S., Light Relentless, Macy Ball, Michaela Gibson, Rachel Pearson, Riley Stevens, Shayna Bennett, Stella, Teresa, and William. I'll actually be seeing Shayna Bennett this weekend, so I'll have to buy her a drink uh, for buying us a drink. Very thankful for a full bag of mail. Not, I mean, not a full bag of presents, but these are kind of like presents, aren't they? We get to hear correspondence from our great listeners. Uh, Will, I just, God, this app takes a really long time to load. Um, uh, I, I just love the emails. You know what I mean? <laughs> One might say that the emails are my favorite part of the show. Oh, okay. I'm glad that you told me it takes a long time. Oh, brother, does it? Ugh. It, it takes uh, a l- time to load. <laughs> I better keep the screen on as much as I can. Yeah, if you want to send a email over to <laughs> elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, This, this is either sure going to be people's favorite, favorite episode of Elwood City Limits or people's least favorite episode of Elwood City Limits. It's already one of my favorites, so I kind of don't care. <laughs> All right, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Yeah, we've got a couple of emails here. I'm going to amalgamate two that we got from Blake, a listener that I've been interacting with over on Twitter. Got a couple things here. First off, Blake, big fan, uh, wants us to pitch a crossover episode with another cartoon and Arthur. Uh, Blake would probably do SpongeBob and Arthur, but I don't know how it would happen. Okay, so... I, I I got one off the rip. Uh, Go for it. I always wanted, uh, because of a uh, actually a misunderstanding I used to have when I was really really young. Oh, Arthur, I know, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, Arthur and sticking around. I used to think because Bradley from Sticking Around looks so similar to Arthur, I would call that show Little Arthur. Yeah. Uh, when I was really really young, because I I just assumed it was like Arthur Guy Dan. I'm not sure what I was assuming, <laughs> but I, it would be cool to see the the Sticking Around crew. You know, Bradley, uh, Stacy. Um, uh, I th- was it Dill? Dill, Lance, and that smelly Russell. Lance, and that smelly Russell. Stacy's parents. Mm-hmm. Stanley uh, and Stella. Exactly. Them and the and the Arthur crew. I think it'd be a fun mix match. I agree. I actually watched a couple of episodes of Sticking Around earlier, uh, in in the week. So, uh, uh, hey, I still I still really like watching it. It's I don't know if it holds up or anything, but uh, it's still really fun for me. Okay. Um, I would say. Mm-hmm. Let me see here. Preferably something with animals, with uh, its own animal hierarchy. Um, well, we all know you love BoJack Horseman, so maybe yeah, it's the uh, most depressing Arthur episode ever. Well, that is that is an idea, and that is true. I do like BoJack Horse- Horseman quite a bit. Uh, something not as depressing, something <laughs> something uplifting, perhaps. Uh, Okay, I'm gonna keep thinking about that, and uh, and and I'm gonna come back to that. I promise. Uh, Blake's other question is: What are your thoughts on the whole idea of LeBron guest starring on Arthur? So I don't think that's. Oh, I think this 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 listener actually DM'd me on Instagram about this, and I didn't see it 
for a little bit because it was in my other messages folder, but mm-hmm. uh, they highlighted we had talked about LeBron being on Arthur, I guess, at some point. Um, sure. I, I love the idea. I'm all for I – listen – I the only thing I love more than basketball is when basketball players have to act and show up in things playing themselves. I love LeBron and Trainwreck. Um, mm. I love Space Jam. I'm so excited for Space Jam too because Space Jam is a bunch of '90s players, which I'm familiar with, but not as intimately as um, I'm familiar with the basketball players of today. So the prospect of seeing people like Anthony Davis and and Dame Lillard and Steph Curry talk yucking it up with Bugs and the gang is really exciting to me. Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm actually, I love the idea of kind of Arthur, not even just, uh, not even just LeBron guest starring on Arthur, but as many basketball players as possible. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to yuck anybody's yum here, but, uh, I think, I think the last thing that the world needs is more space jam. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I mean, you make a salient point. <laughs> I don't have much opinion. Uh, I'd, I'd love as many guest stars as possible to be on Arthur, especially considering uh, what we're talking about this week. Let's keep going through emails here. Uh, this one is from – hang on. I just need to go to the end of the email. Let's see who sent this to me. From – oh, my goodness. Sorry. I just had to make sure that that was an I or an L. It's from Sierra. Finally emailing my favorite podcast. Been listening to you guys since January. Finally decided to write in. You guys have often mentioned Arthur's obsession with being perceived as a baby, which is something I realized just recently I can really relate to. I wonder if Arthur's fear of being seen as a baby can also be interpreted as his fear of being behind while all his friends grow up. As a kid, I was often worried about friends finding out that I still watch cartoons and played with dolls. And even now at 25, while I'm not scared that people will literally think I'm a baby, there's a fear that my friends are becoming more adult and I'm still way behind. For example, I see friends getting married, buying houses, and having kids, and I'm nowhere near those life stages at all. I wonder if Arthur also has this problem a lot, since he's the only character until later seasons with younger siblings. I'm the eldest and remember being the only one of my friends with much younger siblings, and thus doing a lot of kitty activities with them. Anyway, I always really related to Arthur a lot, and it turns out in more ways than I anticipated. That's interesting, and I I definitely think that... um, for for two people who are pretty similar in age to you, Sierra, um, it's not at all unusual to look at other to look at people your age and see what they're doing and be like, "Oh man, I'm I'm way behind." Which I have to check myself on because it's like I'm the only one of my close friend group who's married right now, so I have to be like, "Look, you're doing pretty you're doing pretty well. Don't measure your own success by other people's success. You're I'm sure that you're doing." A lot, and you don't need to feel like you're uh, not doing enough. Yeah, and and Sierra hits on something that I've actually been thinking about a lot lately in terms of um, this is, I think, a generational thing that's kind of changed in that I similarly was the oldest sibling. Um, And something I think has happened is that, like, what used to happen was kids who had, like, older siblings, um, they would kind of get the culture of the older generation passed down. So, like, I remember when I was in elementary school, kids who were, like, way into, like, um, like Nirvana and, like, mm. the Blair Witch Project and, like, inflatable furniture, nine times out of ten, they all had 
older siblings. And so, I mean, we didn't really understand that as kids. They were just like, oh, that's like kid is cooler than me or they have this. But now with the advent of the Internet, I think that's kind of gone. Like, I think everybody's kind of into either the same stuff or just completely different stuff because we all have access to the same thing. It's not just like, oh, my my older brother came home from college and gave me this CD. And how would have I figured out about this otherwise? Because um, I think that was a re- very real thing up until, you know, pretty recently um that's kind of how like the the cool people or the more grown-up people were separated um i mean at those really young kind of single digit ages but now i i wonder if that's actually less of a thing anymore hmm. this is a really good question it's hard to say here but uh well maybe in a few years we'll have a new perspective on that regarding the last episode tales from the crib i enjoyed that episode but found the tibble twins so weird looking in that one also as you guys mentioned there were several inconsistencies like pal being present i also found it weird because in arthur's baby we see the scene where mom and dad reed announce they're expecting and dw is in her typical pink dress with her normal hairdo so how is it that in this episode dw aged backwards and looks younger even though mom is much further along in her pregnancy a bit off but i still like seeing dw at a different time period I'm going to, I guess the, the best thing I have for that is, um, I guess it was earlier in mom's pregnancy and, uh, DW was like, maybe, maybe like the next day after she got her bed, she started wearing that pink dress. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's other continuity problems with that episode as we, we spent some time talking about, uh, I don't know. I've, I'm starting to feel like we need to go the way of star Wars and start like an Arthur legends canon. <laughs> Uh, also, Sierra says happy holidays and shared a very nice Arthur-inspired Christmas-themed watercolor painting. It really looks fantastic. Lucas, I forwarded the email to you in case Ooh, you want to see it. Perfect. Uh, we move on now to Alex. Uh, hey, Will and Lucas, it's been a while since I've written. Just wanted to comment on some recent episodes. I vividly remember the word from us kids from Muffy's Art Attack. I believe they got the artist from the episode or another kinetic artist to come talk to kids and even show the real-life versions of some of the art. I remember seeing that when I was younger and thinking it was incredible, and it definitely fueled my imagination as a kid. Going a little further back, I feel that I had seen this as a kid I would have wanted to be Lucas with the glue desk, but more, I would probably would have acted like Will as I'd be scared of causing a mess. So you're either a Will or you're a Lucas. I just, I still can't get my head over like (laughs) the, the glue desk being received by, with jealousy as opposed to just like, oh God, this kid's putting glue in his desk. (laughs) I have two questions for you too. First, do you feel that the show may ever tackle other mental slash learning disabilities? As someone with ADHD, I would like to see them cover it as they did with dyslexia, like with George, or how they talked about autism, like in the episode uh, when Carl met George. I feel that has uh, that having a learning disability, there's a lot of misinformation and misconceptions on what it's like to have ADHD, and I feel many downplay how difficult it can make certain things, especially if you're not able to get accommodations for it, even if it's as something as small as letting kids with ADHD listen to music to help them focus, or by letting them take breaks to reset their minds. Um, I mean, I certainly hope so. I, I think Arthur can be at its best when it's educating in that kind of social sense, so... Um, and I'll be interested to see, as you mentioned, the episode about the kid with autism, and I hope that there are more of those episodes to come on our watch through here. Uh, and two, I recently rewatched the episode of Arthur where the author Neil Gaiman guest stars. It's one Whoa, of my favorite what? episodes. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. It's one me. of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, uh, color 
me shocked when I heard that Neil Gaiman guest starred on an episode of Arthur. Well, by golly, it just had me saying, no way. That's crazy. (laughs) It's one of my favorite episodes, and it made me want to ask if either of you have watched or read Good Omens, which was released this year. If so, where would you put each Arthur character into the show? Currently, the only one I have down is Francine is Pepper, but after that, I'm stumped. Either way, I'm excited about this week's show. Even more excited for the new year with new seasons. Seasons 9, 10, and 11 contain some of my favorite episodes, including the return of a character that I hope you and Lucas will enjoy seeing again. Seasons 4 to 15 are the ones I'm most familiar with, so I'm excited to see discussion of some of my favorite episodes. Uh, Thank you to Alex for that one. Uh, No, I haven't read or watched uh, Good Omens. Uh, A good friend of mine uh, got Amazon Prime and is watching Good Omens, and she recommends it. All right. Our last one here is from patron Rachel. Hello again, Will and Lucas. And Lucas, she put the three U's in there. Oh, no, not Lucas. Uh, First of all, I'd like to congratulate Will on his lovely pronunciation of Pearson. Yes, nailed it. Secondly, I just listened to your I thought she was going to say your pronunciation of Buttigieg. (laughs) Have you been thinking about that? I I didn't get any. I don't think we got any emails about that. Uh, I mean, I've been thinking about that. This I I, want to spend as little time about this as possible. uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, Canadian politics Twitter is kind of going crazy right now because there's a big joke happening about. Okay, a couple of years ago, there was a Loblaws bread fixing scandal in which um, a lot of the grocery stores here in Canada were adjusting the price of bread. Um, Anyway, uh, recent news came out that Pete Buttigieg worked at the McKinsey Institute, which was a, a managerial consulting firm uh, at the time when this was happening and one of the clients was indeed Loblaws now it's un- uh, and and so a lot of people are have created this conspiracy it's more of a fun and around thing that if you connect the dots it's like Pete Buttigieg is directly responsible for the bread price fixing scheme hence why all oh, so many people in t- on Twitter have been changing their Twitter name to have the bread emoji and the stocks going up emoji uh, mm. and so I've been thinking about your pronunciation of Buttigieg quite a bit <laughs> Yeah, and I actually just listened to the Dog Island episode talking about that, so I'm oh, okay. a more up on that than I was before. Uh, secondly, I just listened to the episode from the 30th. I'm honored and a little shocked that you read my entire email, given that concision is clearly not my strong point. Uh, no problem. And uh, we sometimes, with longer emails, I make edits where necessary, so uh, don't be too upset if I don't read the entire email. Sometimes I just hit the hit the highlights. We gotta we gotta keep we gotta keep rolling here. Uh, so about Muffy's art attack, I totally get why you guys didn't like it. Revisiting Arthur as an adult brings a new fun element to episodes concerning art, mostly because child Rachel did not have a bachelor's degree in the subject. Unfortunately, current Rachel's computer science degree is the one paying the bills, so those four years of blood, paint, and tears must be put to use by grossly overanalyzing an episode of a children's TV show. I found it interesting that the episode, at least on a light, child-friendly level, explored the subjective nature of what makes something art. I like that the show taught Muffy to let go of her attitude that one thing or another isn't real art because it doesn't appeal to her. However, the funny thing is that the definition of what makes something art is still a matter of controversy, especially in the art world. In show, Arthur Ganson justifies Muffy's doll environments as art because she clearly puts passion and care into them. While a good way to explain the idea to a child that's not the whole story, according to a lot of artists and art historians. All right, so we're going to get into a bit of art history here, courtesy of Rachel. Okay. 
I had to take a modern art history class as part of my studio art major. I mostly hated it. Still, I did enjoy the discussion of Marcel Duchamp's 1917 piece, Fountain, which was a hugely influential early entry in Dadaism, an art movement centered around deconstructing, dismantling, and ridiculing Western culture through absurdity and meaninglessness. Fountain is an unaltered factory-produced urinal. That's it. After the, after the Society of Independent Artists refused to display it on the basis that it is not art, Duchamp resigned from the board. In his view, simply by choosing it, removing it from its typical function, and presenting it as art, he made it into art. Visible care and effort is not necessary. Duchamp championed a technique called ready-mades, which creates art from collected manufactured materials. So yes, Lucas was right that rolling can is art. I knew regardless it. Of, uh, regardless of whether it worked as intended, as is the doll environment, both pieces would probably count as ready-mades. Lucas is also right that the fine art world is stupidly exclusive, not just to art made by and for children, but anything accessible to popular consumption. My painting professors used to turn up their nose at illustration, which as an animation and comics fan really irked me. Very interesting stuff here. To, this comes in the same week as uh, that. there was that banana. The, that the was banana. The That's wall. what I yeah. thought of too, yeah. Uh, with every passing day, I become more and more right that Rolling Can would have been the star of the show. You might be sitting on a gold mine here, Lucas. You might have to bring Rolling Can to the masses. <laughs> to address another Arthur discussion, I'm calling back to Binky Barnes' art expert from the second season. Basically, the opposite of the episode's plot happened to me in an abstract painting course. Once during a critique, the class unanimously decided that my painting was better if I rotated it about 90 degrees from where I had envisioned it. I gave up and took their advice because the perception of your art is as important, if not more so, than your intent. So really, if the museum had wanted to spin this in their favor, all they needed to do was cite death, death of the author, remind everyone that art is a collective experience, and claim that they were reconceptualizing the piece with a different orientation. There is no older trick in the art world than to say, uh, I meant to do that, and you just didn't get it. Uh, thank you, Rachel. Some art analysis from one of our many intelligent listeners and if you an intelligent listener yourself would like to email us well then you can do that over at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com it's time to finish off season eight here we go with bighorns george speaking of art there's a bit of art alive in this episode as well that's right we got we're checking in on old big old bighorn george so Bighorn's George started off in kind of a weird way. I don't know if you noticed this. Immediately, when George started speaking, I thought it's he sounded exactly like Arthur's old deep voice. Do you remember that one? Oh, gosh. From the, from the one season, Justin Bradley uh, voiced him when Arthur's voice got really weird, really deep. I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to hear it again. That might just, it might just be me, but I was like, wait a second. Was Justin Bradley the voice of George all this time? But no, it's uh, George's normal voice actor. Just wanted to put that out there in case you noticed that too. So George is at Brain's mom's ice cream shop. And uh, Brain gets to talking about... uh, Now, does he talk specifically about Coco Taylor? Coco Taylor comes in. Yes. And then Brain's like, that's Coco Taylor. And then George is a little bit befuddled. Uh, and I agree with George. I, too, did not know of Coco Taylor. Of course, I had the sense that this was my my real person guest stirring our Arthur senses were tingling. So mm-hmm. I immediately put that into the old uh, Wikipedia machine. And uh, Coco Taylor, born Cora Anna Walton, 
is indeed the a real person, the Queen of Blues. Um, she since passed away in 2009, but she is real. And so she I, looked- too, much like George, George was kind of the audience surrogate here, I was, too, being introduced to Coco Taylor. She lived to the age of 80, and this was – we have two guest stars in this episode, and this was a perfect opportunity uh, to learn about some music I never would have learned about uh uh, if I hadn't, if I hadn't been watching Arthur, so I looked up some Coco Taylor on YouTube. She was real good at what she did. Uh, yeah, so Coco Taylor does indeed come in the shop with uh, Mrs. McGrady, and Brain is a bit of a jazz, a bit of a blues fan. So he is beside himself. He can't believe that Coco Taylor is here. He actually uh, he wants to use it as an opportunity to go home early. He says, "Mom, I have to go. George doesn't know Coco." <laughs> I love that. That's pro- that's probably. I mean, he we we later see him after the title card at home with George. So apparently, that was a good enough reason. Uh, Braid's parents just must, you know, they got to be ready that child labor doesn't step in because it seems like Braid <laughs> is always working at the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, it it seems to be what he one of the main things he does in his spare time. So yeah, they go back to Brain's place and listen to some Coco Taylor, and it captures George's imagination. He's never heard music like this before. In fact, speaking of music never heard before, uh, Brain has his own blues song. Okay, so a couple things about this. Um, yeah, I, I did find, uh, and I guess this might just be because I find Brain a little bit annoying in general. But it was a little like mansplainy the way Brain was just like, "Oh, you don't know about this? You don't know about this?" It's like Brain, he's <laughs> like your age. Like, how is he? Because Brain quickly, I sued, is like, "Yeah, my dad introduced me to this," and it's like, okay, so that's why he doesn't know about it is because it's it's not something that everybody knows about. Um, but that being said, uh, the imagery of kind of like George listening to a song um, in his friend's room room and like being way into a song I, that obviously wasn't with blues but you know that brought me back to it's always fun even when you're a little kid you go to a friend's house and they're like this kind of plays into our discussion earlier like hey my brother gave me this nirvana album listen to this you've never heard anything like this before that's actually always like a fun memory and so this was the at first i was a little bit uh, i don't know how i feel about this and then the scene uh won me over kind of with its nostalgia and it just ends up being endearing yeah. All um, that being said, Brain's blues song sucks. <laughs> oh, really? I kind of oh. liked it. No, I fundamentally disagree with Brain about how you don't have to ha- be talking about heartbreak or problems to sing the blues. I yeah. am sorry, but there's I, I unless the song is about losing your job at the pie factory. I don't want to be hearing about a blues song about pie, the mathematical, uh, the math number. Not a fan. <laughs> Yeah, I I know what you mean. Like I actually kind of liked Brain's song, but it was it was the way it was interesting, uh, especially after reading Rachel's email about how it's like kind of a children's understanding of uh, the blues of like you don't have to be sad to do it. But I'm like, my dude, it's called the blues. Like that's kind of the that's kind of the point. Like you know. So I mean, it's it's a way for kids to understand the blues without being like old enough to be sad. I guess. Sad in the way that blues songs generally are. I mean, but, like, George has ample opportunity. He's a living blues song in the first few seconds of this episode. His pants are ripped. His ice cream falls. Yeah, it's true. He's got some... He's got reason to to be this... uh, To be as sad as he is. But anyway... um... Brain's Brain's help does kind of inspire him to look up more blues musicians and, in fact, uh, sort of become a blues musician himself. He uh, buys a harmonica and uh, he wants to perform 
uh, he like he spends stays up all night uh, writing a song, and eventually he wants to perform in front of Coco Taylor, which is a pretty great opportunity since she and Mrs. McGrady are friends. Uh, George comes to Mrs. McGrady's place all dressed up in a suit, and like man, Binky and Francine are like Deezus and Marrow over here just roasting George. So uh, I actually, um, and I think this speaks more to my music taste, but I really liked George's first song where he sounds all mousy. He sounds like, doesn't sound like a blues song, but he almost sounds like Elliot Smith. Like, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, there's, there's a real like modern style to it. Like, yeah. It's like George's, George is like trying to sound like Sufjan Stevens or something. I, I was way <laughs> into this. A bit of an indie folk bend to it. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was so cute. Like he's just over there just like very quietly just, just like trying to sing his song. And I'm like, Oh, this poor little boy. He's so unconfident, and, and and uh, you know, Francine over here just like tell him, like, why are you wearing a suit? Like, I can't even hear you sing. It's just like, shut up. Like, he's trying his best here. Just let him live his life. Singing moose sounds more like a mouse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to bleep out like half of their dialogue if you're trying to listen to a bleep version of like Bodega Boys or something. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, man, it's just sometimes Francine and <laughs> Binky they just don't they just don't know when enough's enough. Um, but there's some really cool like there's a part here where Coco Taylor is singing in uh Mrs. McGrady's house. There's a part later when uh guest Taj Mahal gets to sing a little bit some real great music in this episode. Uh so George is very very upset and he's like he's like pretty much almost in tears and uh he's Coco tells him he can come back and sing whatever he wants to but George is kind of defeated and goes home very very sad stuff I don't like seeing George so upset so he talks with Wally for a little bit and decides to listen to one more record that he didn't that he didn't get to before he returns the CDs to Brain that Brain loaned him and it turns out it's uh, a record of Taj Mahal a legendary blues musician with an over 50-year career, still alive today, Taj Mahal. And he imagines himself in a dusty old town where he goes to a, like a western town. Kind Tur- of where Turning go- Point, Mississippi, population 10, which Wally <laughs> remarks, uh, not a popular town. Wasn't crazy about the Wally voice here. It's, it's, it's been better. He goes into the local general store. Uh, Binky is there and uh, thinks that he's trying to steal lemonade. So he hollers for the sheriff. He disappears under the bar and then comes back. He is also the sheriff. Yeah, lots of great Binky stuff here. Um, so a couple of things about this. Uh, not so much Binky, but a lot of the other people that show up in this dream sequence. I just saw Knives Out, which uh, oh, yeah. I-, I-, I liked. I was surprised. I- I'm Ryan Johnson, I'm his hit or, mit for me, hit or miss for me. Um, but I, I really liked Dives Out, and so I forgot about how f- much fun it is to do the, like, the, I do declare, like, that kind of voice. That uh, With all the talk <laughs> yeah. of accents last episode, there's a lot of, like, oh, heavens to purgatory, I do declare, and everybody's kind of talking like this in this Mississippi town. Uh, but, and so that I really liked about this, but also Binky's just chewing the scenery. We, we haven't seen a lot from Binky lately, uh, but I love, like, there's a lot of physical comedy from Binky, like, popping down, popping back up. Uh, I'm the sheriff, too. And then when he kind of pours George these sodas, this is a very uh, 
sort of a very blue scenario, George has got no money. Uh, and so uh, Binky's going to uh, call the sheriff. He's the sheriff. But the only way George could get out of it is if he if he plays a song for him or else that's the hook scow. What does he the, say? The, the, the who the scow. That's the who scow for you. And then uh, George Wally's like, I don't know what the who scow is, but I don't like it. Like they, they, they're both very befuddled on what the who scow could be. So George has to has to sing in order to pay off the lemonade, and he's very very quiet still. Um, but thankfully, a friendly neighborhood Taj Mahal is uh, just next door and accompanies him uh, on guitar. And George manages to find a little bit more confidence and sings a little louder. He's got a he's got a pretty nice voice. Does old George? No, yeah, I thought I was only gonna like George's more whispery stuff. Uh, but uh, I actually really like George's second song as well. So I was a big fan of both George songs. So this gives George a bit more confidence to uh, try to add a little bit more to his song. He actually uh, learns guitar. And <laughs> he learns guitar in like the span of like two, one or two scenes. And man, I wish music was as easy to pick up as it is for George in this episode. It's just I'm not musically inclined. It's really hard, requires a lot of practice, and I don't have the patience for it or the skill. So George learns to play guitar, and he's finally going to sing for Coco. Um, but when he gets there, he tries to sing, and he breaks a guitar string. And he's and he's 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 doing all right before that, but the guitar string breaks, and then it so, so does his confidence. He's not looking like he'll be able to to go through with it. But then who should turn up? But the real Taj Mahal. Um. Yeah. And so I didn't know about Taj Mahal either. Uh, mm-hmm. and similar to Coco, Taj Mahal, very exciting, um, sort of to discover, uh, his whole career, um, yeah. especially because he worked on, uh, heavily in some film scores. Um, movie, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Movies like, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, the Blues Brothers sequel, which I've never seen. <laughs> actually, I've never actually seen Blues Brothers 2000 because I've heard it so bad, but I love the first Blues Brothers. He worked on, uh. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, <laughs> not, not great for old Taj Mahal just yet. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how the music is in those films, but the films, yeah. Uh, uh, a, a movie called Brothers from 1977 that's pretty famous. Um, okay. And he also is in a movie called Sounder uh, as the character of Ike. Um, well, well, he is also uh, a, le- a legend, as I said, in the in the blues uh, music world and you can tell he's got a real like a classic blues voice and he gets to show it off a little bit here as he accompanies George on guitar and with lyrics in real life George forgets the lyrics that he wrote at one point and then just decides to make it up on the spot uh, thanks to Taj Mahal's um, help uh, also great line here from Coco when George is kind of uh, a little bit nervous about singing in front of her. She's just like, relax, honey. It's just Coco, not Mr. Ratburn. So M- Coco Taylor at one point met Mr. Ratburn. I mean, that's kind of the end of the episode. We just kind of go out on that uh, Taj Mahal and George song. And it's 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 nice. It's just kind of a, a nice little thing. And a, again, a great way to introduce uh, kids to uh, artists that their parents probably knew at the time. Uh, before we go, I mean, we this has become the tradition with the arthurized versions of real people, you know, on the spectrum from Art Garfunkel to, of course, Matt Damon. It's it's we need to come up for a name for this segment uh, uh, where we rank 
the Arthurized likeness with, you know, Art Garfunkel on the, on the good side of, like, this is how you do it right, how you turn someone into an animal without them just kind of looking like a person with ears. And then, of course, on the bad side, there is the Arthurized version of Matt Damon, which just is, like, unspeakable. Uh, <laughs> uh, where do we rank Taj Mahal and Coco on that scale? I put them somewhere in the middle, more leaning towards Art Garfunkel. Um, in terms of, this is a much younger Taj Mahal. Like, the stuff I looked up from him was, like, more recent when he's a much older man. Uh, but it seems to be, um, it seems to be pretty, pretty good, uh, in terms of like, he's, a, he's a rabbit with, you know, a bit of whiskers and, uh, Coco also given a bit more of a, a younger likeness. Uh, but I, I, th- I think it worked out pretty well. I love Taj's outfits. Yes. Um, I he reminds do... me of, he reminds me of a modern artist, but I'm having trouble thinking of who. Hmm. Uh, could it be, uh, oh, is it Anderson Pock perhaps? No, it's probably not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, jeez, no. I, I keep wanting to bring up the Bleep app for comedic timing, but it just loads so slow. Why yeah, you got to be – you, you got to know. You know this sketchy app is just like – the thing that's loading is it's stealing all of my personal data. Yeah, uh, I don't – yeah, I'm not I'm not going to keep this on here for too, too long. No, you know, I was thinking the same thing. It's just going into my files and just like selling them all to Huawei or something. Like, I <laughs> – I, I, I even want to make a joke about that by pressing the bleep app, but it takes so long to load. Right. Yeah, it's I. you, you could definitely improve upon this, but maybe improvement is not the, uh, like, the idea behind no, this. No, I don't want more free buttons. I don't care if the big button box 2 free gives me eight more awesome big buttons. All I want is a button that goes... Is that too much to ask? I really don't think so. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, we're going to take a little break here, but uh, when we come back, we're going to get right the into uh, a new, or the final <laughs> Arthur story of season eight, and uh, it is a real good one, so uh, we'll be right back. Support for Elwood City Limits is really easy. First of all, you can visit us and follow us on social media. You can go to facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. On Twitter, you can follow us at ECL Podcast. We're also on Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. You can also go to our Instagram, Elwood City Limits. Follow us over there, too. You can also contribute to us on a monthly basis over at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. We have corresponding rewards for when we hit certain levels of patronage. So please, if you feel like you would like to donate financially to us, you're under no obligation to. But if you want to, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Also, if you want to have a little bit of ECL on your person, go to teespring.com slash store slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store. Make a little rhyme out of it. (laughs) You can go over there and get a t-shirt, a hoodie, or a tank top with the Elwood City Limits logo on it. And we've got even more designs coming in real soon. So make sure to check back there. Finally, share this podcast with a friend who likes animation, who likes Arthur, or who just likes having fun. Sharing us on social media, sharing us with people you know, and sending in your emails to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. All are fantastic ways to support us, and we thank you very much very much now let's get back to the show okay so are we gonna do the joke where we say that the episode is or should we just say that the episode is called bleep i think i think everyone gosh help them if they've they watch this episode before listening to which i know some people do listening to this podcast because they're gonna be all bleeped out at this point 
Uh, I think we owe the the poor audience a break. Uh, but yes, this is Bleep. The this is probably I would say the most infamous episode of season eight. Uh, when we were looking over some of the episodes that were in this season, I know you weren't really familiar with a lot of them. Uh, I I wasn't particularly familiar with a lot of them. Uh, but this one. Uh, I recognized it immediately. And I don't always recognize episodes from the titles, but I was like, oh, this episode. Yeah, exactly. And um, I also want to just put it out there that I I think I had a couple people uh, link me to this, and I found it naturally on my own a few months ago, but there's a YouTuber named Scott Kramer who made an episode, who has a, a video about this episode as well. So apologies if we kind of step over some of his jokes or something like that, but... uh, um, you know, it's I don't remember everything that he said other than trying to figure out what exactly the kids are saying. But I figured we would get into that at some point as well. When I was and, a, a little, little kid, uh, my friends, this was when back when like things like Dragon Ball Z abridged and like Yu-Gi-Oh abridged and all those like YouTube things were, yeah. were big where you just like talk over something you would do dubs of it and my friends this was one of uh they did a bunch of things and all of these are deleted they've all been like wiped off the (laughs) internet because you know uh sometimes you don't want the stuff that you made when you were 13 to still be out there uh but they uh this was the episode of arthur they chose to dub over for obvious reasons of course uh so this one starts out with arthur on the set of the altos oh my goodness this was already you want to talk about the one thing season eight does have is two of the best arthur openings of all time first with the cribs parody uh and now uh the altos this was incredible (laughs) everything about it the dialogue the the care you want to talk about characterizations arthurized tony soprano is a masterpiece. Uh, the music playing in the background, the fact that mm-hmm. Arthur's like on set explaining, like essentially explaining uh, uh, what a bleep sound means in the context of a TV show. This is all wonderful. Yeah, this is really great. And it's very of the time when The Sopranos was still airing and one of the number one shows on television. Um, yeah, no, it's just uh, Arthur. Again, we get to see, it's not often we see the camera, Arthur's camera crew for the cold open, but we see like the uh, the camera operator, the boom mic operator, and then he goes over to the guy who operates the bleep button. And uh, he is responsible for putting all the bleeps into the Sopranos, with, into the altos, which is kind of funny because, I mean, even when the Sopran- even when the Sopranos would be playing on like CTV, they'd be playing it late enough at night that they could just say all the swears. They wouldn't just wouldn't just bleep it, and they definitely wouldn't do it live, which seems very very uh, tricky to do. Or at worst, if I've ever seen episodes of The Sopranos censored, it was like there was just a they would cut out the sound as opposed yeah, to adding a bleep. Mute it. Though, you know what? I think like for comedic purposes, like adding a bleep is way funnier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I find that all the time. And there are some, there are some things out there that are actually funnier because the swearing is bleeped than if it, than if it isn't, uh, the game brutal legend gives you the option. Yeah. Uh, and it's inc- way funnier if you keep the bleeps. I find that there are some episodes of the Boondocks that are a lot funnier because the bleeps are in. Hmm, interesting. Like the one, like the one where they have the, um, uh, the one where they they do the thing where uh, Riley's Riley's on a basketball team and Tom is coaching, and at the very end he goes like on this swearing tirade. It's <laughs> so much funnier when the bleeps are in. 
It's just, it's just like it's, it's constant, and it's just it, it, it forces you to use your imagination a little bit, and also use the bleeping for comedic as comedic timing itself. Sp- speaking of comedic, so the guy who operates the bleep button, everything about this is funny. If you know anything about like television production, um, the fact that he's like still, he's got the headset, um, and he's got this like little table, um. Uh, later on, Arthur talks about using the bleep button not only in the context of this TV show, The Altos, but what if you could have that guy just in your life? Um, yes. And, like, they're playing this baseball game, and the guy's just, like, sitting there with his little stool uh, and his little table that's perfectly at waist height to hold the bleep button. The bleep button is plugged into somewhere on this this baseball field, and he's just sitting there waiting to press it, uh, waiting for his cue from the stage director or what have you. Uh, yeah. It's hilarious. And I love how this guy is just like typical, like, oh, I'm just, it's a living. Like, he's just sitting there yeah. happy. Just a working Joe. Yeah, just a union guy. He's eating his cookies. <laughs> I love him. This reminds me of the Black Mirror Christmas episode where you could, like, mute people in real life because essentially he's, like, covering up so much of what, like, Francine or DW is saying that it's basically just sounds like nonsense. Um, you know what? I, I was thinking about it. Last minute change for Throwaway Character of the Week. Last minute this- change. I was going to give Throwaway Character of the Week to the uh, angry teen who teaches DW the swear word. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? We've we've seen those kind of characters on Arthur before. We've seen like teenagers. If we remember the the, the stoner youth pastor soccer coach, uh, there's the tough customers. They kind of fill that role. I'm giving it to the character the likes we've never seen before, which is Union Bleep Button Operator. Uh, <laughs> he deserves recognition for all his hard work. Absolutely, I agree. Um, uh, also, just going back to the Altos part, uh, they're talking. The dialogue that they have is talking about one of the characters' mothers, Apple Betty. Uh, Apple Betty is a crustless is a crustless pie. I think it's. Pro- I think it might be close to like apple crisp. My sister used to make that. Ooh. It leads to like uh, Arthur bleeping out Francine when she's chewing him out for missing a pitch during a baseball game. And we also see this year kind of a throwback to Arthur's perfect Christmas where Arthur's chasing DW around the living room and he accidentally knocks over the glass bird that he replaces in the special. By the way, if you'd like to hear our full length commentary on Arthur's perfect Christmas it is now up for free on the podcast feed and wherever you get your podcast, your Elwood city limits. So check that out if you haven't yet and add us to your, uh, to your uh, Christmas viewing list. And we get my favorite line of the, cold open and it's dw saying mom arthur just your favorite bird (laughs) very funny and the it's actually a bit of a longer cold open it ends with dw finding the button and that's uh, right our our main man the bleep operator is on his 15 uh and the bleep (laughs) is just like drowning it's just like one extended long bleep um and arthur's like shut it off and then it turns out it was dw holding down the button Mm-hmm. Missed opportunity as well to have Arthur bleeped in the title card. Uh, like it's the one where DW like opens up the curtain. He's in the bath, so he could have just been like, <laughs> <laughs> which would have been funny. But may- maybe maybe they didn't want to draw attention to it that way. Um, yeah. So DW in the episode itself is out in a glassware store with Grandma Thora, and she happens upon this young punk teenager and his uh, put-upon mother. That's right, as... the, the, the runner-up for throwaway character of the week. <laughs> as um, she is denying him being able to go to his favorite concert, and in, re- and in, uh, in indignation, he just shouts, 
and she drops the glass, the glass, whatever she was holding. And DW doesn't know what just happened. She heard a word, but she didn't know what the word was. And she tries to ask Grandma Thora about it later, but she's afraid that Grandma Thora will drop the like ceramic bowl that she's carrying. So that, she that, just—that's one of the funniest things about this episode—is because DW doesn't even understand the concept of a swear word. She just yeah. thinks it's like a word that causes people to drop and break <laughs> things. Uh, yeah. and, and the way they play with that concept is one of my favorite parts of the entire episode. Um, also, I—I I haven't seen the YouTube video you mentioned earlier. Uh, I assume what they end up talking about is that if you were to say this is one word, it doesn't make any sense in the con- construct of a lot of these sentences the way the kids use it, right? Yeah, not really. They use it very, very interchangeably. So, and I, and I guess the the idea is probably that it could be any swear word. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just to kind of keep it very general. I think the king of this concept was. Do you ever see the episode of SpongeBob where they make the the dolphin noise? Yes, I love that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that. I, I really like that a lot. Actually, oh, I also wanted to say one other example of bleeping being funnier than the actual uh dialogue is on the Eric Andre show when Hannibal's talking about walk, uh, walk a Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's really funny. Yeah, and we and also like go, going back to this kid, have we ever seen family dysfunction on this level in Arthur where it's like this insolent kid? Oh, yeah, and- this kid is straight up a Kyle, this kid is straight up telling his mom. Screaming at his mom because he's about to get his, you know, his Call of Duty nuke strike. His kill streak's about to hit twenty five percent, and he wants some. He want. Oh God! Just a second, let me load up the the bleep app. Um, this is real time, people. This is how long the bleep button takes. To I mean, load. I I've got I've got mine up. I can I, I can do it for you. Oh don't don't worry, I got it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's got he's about to get his Call of Duty kill streak, and he's like, Mom, I want some hot pockets. <laughs> Yes, that does sound familiar. I think I've seen a at least a variation of that before. So DW is no doubt curious about what it could mean. So she goes to Arthur uh, and asks, uh, pretty much point blank, what does mean? And Arthur drops the airplane he's working so, on. So DW uh, great it reinforces. Conti- sorry, great continuity here with... Um, um, I again the bleep episode really really infamous almost not quite the most infamous episode of Arthur of all time is of course the episode where Arthur punches DW one of our yeah. most listened to episodes of Elwood City Limits one of the most emailed to episodes of Elwood City Limits um, mm. and it's just so funny that this episode which is infamous in its own right has continuity with that episode in that it's the same plane he's working mm. on that model plane once again and once <laughs> again it's destroyed by DW uh, and this time, um, sort of confirmation bias, uh, confirming to DW that the word does make people drop and break things, even though it's just that, uh, Arthur was startled. Yeah, it's, that is great continuity. I don't even think I noticed that at the time. Uh, so this kind of reinforces that DW thinks that it's some, it's a word that makes people break things. And she has this thought that, um... If she if she asks her parents about it, which Nadine kind of suggests, then it would lead to like basically them dropping everything. There's this great shot. Oh, this is the what, highlight of the episode for me by far. So when uh, DW is thinking of herself at the dinner table, and and she's like, I wanted to ask you about something, and she looks over to Arthur, and Arthur's pouring a glass of water, and he just silently just shakes his head like, No, don't <laughs> don't do this. It was so funny. 
And then I loved this. Mom, uh, mom drops her plates. Smash cut to dad dropping the entire meal. Kate's throwing stuff. Uh, uh, A light outside, a lamppost breaks. Um, And then just all out destruction. Uh, The moon falls out of the sky. This is like one of the zaniest sequences we've seen in a while. Um, So all of the windows in all of the houses in Elwood City break. And then the moon falls out of the sky. A giant Mary Moo cow jumps over the moon holding an egg and then breaks an egg with a ballpoint hammer. Yeah, that was a walk, but it was it's very visually interesting, that's for sure. That that last sequence of the, the moon and the Mary Boo Cow, it's almost like one of those animations from one of the Terry Gilliam like Monty Python films. Yeah, kinda. It's very surreal. That level in of a way. humor, yeah. So this reminded me of how when I was little, I remember uh being at the dinner table and asking my parents what the F word meant. So we did have that kind of discussions and it was just like, Well, it's a bad word and you shouldn't say it. Kind of, kind of thing, essentially. Um, I also uh, think that it's quite rare. It, like I was thinking about this, about how rare it is that, in my at least in my experience, to have a kids show tackle swear words directly. You mentioned the SpongeBob episode. I'm glad you did, but this is doing very much so in a more, I guess, ed- educational kind of context. And it's funny because like. Learning about swear words is a common childhood occurrence. Like, it's just kind of part of growing up is discovering what it is, maybe getting in trouble for saying it, like, finding out what they are, that kind of stuff. Um, it, yeah, it, I'm, it's I'm it's surprised more you, shows don't talk about it. Well, it's funny you mention that. I think the reason more shows don't talk about it is that it's a really hard line to walk. Like, even, you know, a show with the tact of Arthur, I don't think they quite nail it. And the, the problem is, this is going to be a weird analogy or a weird comparison, but... Um, you know, they talk about how you could never make a film about war that truly uh, uh, truly shows war in the correct way because by the nature of making a film about it, you've made it exciting, right? And so, right. like, movies like Saving Private Ryan, as, as much as they try to be gritty and realistic, they don't quite capture it because, because you're watching a film, uh, it seems exciting. Um, and similarly, in trying to make an, an anti-swear children's episode, you have to show the truth, which is that... It's fun. It's so fun. Like, it, swearing is so fun. And even this episode, it, they don't quite stick the landing no. in that, like, this next scene with the tibbles on the playground. I'm looking at this this freeze frame. If you immediately pause of just the joy, the elation on the tibbles' faces. They're literally kicking their legs up and just saying the word over and over again. They're so – they think it's so funny. And it's true. Like, swearing is great. Like, I do it all like the time, just kid, not on the show. If I was a kid and I saw this episode, there is a really nice moment near the end of this episode where mom has a really good line to kind of the, – the episode's one argument against swearing. Uh, but I don't think that uh, uh, surmounts – just what a blast everybody on the playground seems like they're having. Like, this episode does make swearing seem as fun as it is. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Tibbles uh, use this as an opportunity. I mean, they don't really know what the word means, but DW knows that they know it because obviously they were just saying it a bunch of times. Um, so this is their opportunity to trick her. So they say that if it's a word that if you say it in front of somebody, they become your zombie slave for the rest of the day. And let me tell you, if uh, swear words turn people into zombies, there'd be none of you left. (laughs) 
Like I, I, what I mean is, I swear a lot. So uh, there'd be a lot of zombies in my world if if that were happening. All this stuff with the pro- proliferation of the swear word on the playground uh, reminded me of one of my favorite internet videos of all time, uh, mm. which is I, I think a perfect encapsulation of uh, just how much, how, just how kids talked. At least when I was a kid in the early 2000s, and it's a it's yeah. a video called "This Damn Ass Rock." Uh, okay. And it's a footage. It's a footage of two kids. I think in the early 2000s, probably around 2004, probably around the same age I was in 2004. Uh, and I don't want to repeat what they say in the video, but you're free to look it up yourself. This damn ass rock original, uh, okay. because it is. This is just how kids talk. Like this is how ki- if you're in grade six in elementary school and you've just figured out about swear words, this is how little kids uh, communicate with one another. Well, I'm well. I I'm always interested to uh, watch the video recommendations that you have, so I'll I'll, wa- I'll watch this afterwards. It also just reminds me of I, I think it's the episode of The Simpsons where they get like stranded on the island and it becomes uh, Lord of the Flies, and Bart realizes like we can swear as much as we want. We can live like kings. Oh, sorry. Damn hell ass kings. <laughs> sorry, I heard the end of that. You cut out for a second, but I heard the important part, which was the swearing. Yeah. Course, swearing is the most important part. So the so DW of course believes them because they actually like Tommy becomes Timmy's slave briefly, and so he um uh so it's enough for to get DW to believe. So they try to get her to say it around Miss Morgan, um, which DW imagines like if Miss Morgan became her slave, then she would drink soda and get to watch TV, but uh, she ultimately doesn't do it despite the Tibbles giving her the double thumbs up. And uh, that's a, this is call- another fun point of drama throughout this episode for the adults watching is that um, you're constantly on pins and needles being like, is this the time where DW is actually going to say the swear word to an adult? Right. Cause yeah. you know, what's going to happen. Like, of course it has to. Uh, uh, and, well, and you also know, like what are the implications? Like if DW just swears at an adult, uh, how they're going to react. So every time they kind of play with it, like hear her talking to Miss Morgan, there's a couple mm-hmm. other situations where she's just about to say it, even at the dinner table before you realize that's like an animation, se- uh, uh, an imagination sequence. Um, yeah. That's like a, a fun through line through this episode of like, oh, is she going to say it? Is she going to say it? Um, There's a, uh, I, I wonder if you might have this line here because I didn't write down the exact line. Um, there's a point where DW is talking with Nadine about, I think it's like whether or not she should say the swear word. And I just have the note here. I just love when Nadine always goes along with DW's worst instincts. Like DW says something like really false. Like she says something false or like provably incorrect. And Nadine's like, that's a very good point. And I'm like, no, it's not. I just can't remember what it was. I know DW Uh. has this whole spiel about how, um, it could be true, but the Tibbles have lied before. Uh, which was, uh, it's funny cause it's self-aware of DW, but just not quite self-aware enough. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it was, it was something, it was something like that. So essentially what she tries to do is she calls, uh, Visita, her next door neighbor on the phone and tells her about it. Um, and she, because she wants essentially Visita to be her swear word cipher and, uh, try using it in her own house and see what happens, which the, the whole uh, concept I was mortified. T- it tickled so, me. So when this whole idea comes to DW, she sees the neighbors walking in and I was like, is she just going to run up to them and swear at them? Uh, 
But this is almost even worse. Like, this whole plot is, like, so diabolical. And, of course, it's going to come immediately back to DW because her parents are going to be like, where did you hear that? And she'll say DW. But, like, DW's, like, whole thing about, like, being like, yeah, but you probably should say it. Only us grown-up kids can say it. And then even DW knows uh, what a honeypot she set up because she's like, <laughs> I give her about five minutes until she says it. This, t- this tickled me, though. It's just classic little kid manipulation. And it's just like DW has this like little peon, essentially, in Visita that she can get to do whatever she wants as long as she says, oh, the big kids get to do it. So it's like we saw – like we've seen kids Arthur's age and the Tibbles fool DW. And DW has somebody that she can always fool, which I just think is really funny. The way this scene's so, blocked out is great, too. It's got that rear window tension yes, of DW yeah. watching Vasita like, walk towards her parents, start a conversation with her parents, hands behind her back, getting ready to say it. And then everyone's, like, shocked and, faces. And all the while, Mom is saying, like, it's dinner time. Come down for dinner. And DW's like, in a, you know, in a minute. And then Mom's like, no, DW. Right? Like, she gets more and more kind of agitated with her. And DW is also getting impatient, trying to wait for Vasita to say it. And then finally, she just outright says it to Mom, whatever it is. And then Mom comes upstairs uh, as Vasita points at the window where DW is perched and, it, you know, telling on her. And then we get the what did you say Dora Winifred Reed? Like it has to be like, it has to be, you really have to put on the most serious voice here and be like, there's going to be consequences for this. And, but I mean, there kind of is, there kind of isn't essentially uh, DW gets away with it because she didn't know what she was saying, which is very true. But um, you know, she finally does ask mom point blank. Like, what does that mean? I don't understand what it means. And mom herself is just like, well, it's a very bad word, and I was kind of afraid that they would leave it there, but then she does kind of put a cap on it, like you mentioned earlier. She says, I guess you could say it means, I want to hurt your feelings. Which and is, then DW, uh, that is like an exceptional line, because again, like, it, how do you, like... It's good, Just yeah. Just saying, you know, you shouldn't swear because it offends some people, I'm like, oh, who cares, like, whatever. But then well, when, yeah, when, that was, when, when, the mom, yeah. when mom puts it in a way where she goes, it's like saying to someone, I, I intentionally want to hurt your feelings. That is a really excellent line. Now, that being said, like I said earlier, that line is rendered ineffective when we smash cut to <laughs> the most comical, like, one of the most unintentionally funny things I've ever seen in Arthur, which is, like, all these preschoolers just, like, swearing up a storm on the playground. Yeah, it's great. Um, I, I, I do also want to say, like, DW, after she gets told, like, what it means, essentially, she just goes, why didn't somebody tell me that in the first place? Which, great question. But then we wouldn't have the episode about it. Yeah, the the little kids swearing in, like, for every second word is chef's kiss. It's excellent. It's just like, hey, did you? Yeah, yeah did you already? The Yeah, yep. It's just... Man, it's great. Like, little kids swearing, pretty funny. And then the episode does cap with DW being like, uh, guys, let me tell you what those words actually mean. Uh, DW, let it tell, give, learning everybody something here. Okay, final episode of Season 8, Lucas, and it's time to wrap things up. Let's go back to Big Horns George. What'd you make of that? Uh, I, I liked the last third of Big Horns, George. Uh, last okay. last two thirds, actually. I, I It's kind of a rocky start. I didn't like all the stuff of Brain kind of explaining blues. I thought that was a little arduous or a little bit forced. Uh, okay. But uh, like I said, I, I thought it was really interesting to learn about Coco Taylor and um, 
uh, Taj Mahal, and I, I kind of loved all the stuff in the in the latter third with, I liked all of George's songs, and I really liked the sequence where George goes to Mississippi and with Biggie and all that stuff. Um, so the episode ended up winning me over in the end. I liked this one. I thought it was pr- nice and light. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, plot going on or anything like that. I appreciated George Spotlight. He's quickly becoming one of secretly one of my favorite characters but i kind of liked it and and i always i always appreciate when you know the writers take the opportunity to introduce um kids to something that their parents probably know about or something that just they would never learn about on any other show um i loved coco taylor and taj mahal and it got me to listen to their music which i think is pretty rad um yeah it's it's there's not you know a whole lot of moving parts to this one, but I thought it was very pleasant. I appreciated this. The music in it is great. And I, I know what you're saying about Brain, but honestly, I could overlook that. He's just a vessel to get the episode to where it needs to go. And uh, it kind of didn't surprise me that he might be into that sort of uh, genre of music. So I found that pretty good. I feel like, I liked, I feel like I Brain should one. be listening to like Aphex Twin. He probably will when he's older. Or like, I feel or like, like Eurobeat. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he'll. I feel like he's probably just listening to what his parents listen to right now. But when he gets his own kind of taste in music, he's it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to be all or, or better. Or better. That's right. Think. It's going to be all Chemical yeah. Brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's he's primed. This is like prime Chemical Brothers time. And bleep. I mean, man, what can you say? This is this is great. <laughs> this is such a great episode. Um, I mean. Practically, I do like that they are talking about this. I think that there's a lot of children's media that doesn't interact with this subject at all. And to your point, it's really hard to do right. It's really hard to put home the message that you want because inherently, and especially the little kids and little kids who have like older siblings or or if you know like the bad kids at school who swear when they're not supposed to, swearing is inherently interesting and cool. It's something you're not supposed to do, but you know, you also have complete autonomy over. So it's really hard to, like, put forward exactly what that means. I applaud them for trying, and even when it doesn't hit what it wants to all the time, it's still very funny and memorable. Just, we, we've we already talked about it. Like, using the censorship bleeps is almost inherently funny almost anywhere you use it, and this is no exception. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just thought this was a whole lot of fun. This was a great way to end off the season. Made me feel very positive about how far we've came. But once we do the season eight recap, I imagine that this will be uh, high atop the mountain amidst uh, probably a, f- a few middling entries. Yeah, I mean, not to spoil our, our season recap, but I think they saved the best for last. I loved Bleep. Uh, there's a reason that when you talk about legendary Arthur episodes, this is pretty much the only one from this season you hear about. Uh, and it really is standout. And all that stuff I said earlier about how it doesn't quite accomplish its goal uh, of kind of teaching kids the the dangers of swearing, I don't really care about all that because I'm just judging it based on how much I enjoyed it watching it as an Arthur episode. And watching it as an adult, it is a laugh riot from start to finish it's just super entertaining like throughout uh and it's not just the fact that you know 
it's an episode about swearing and it's funny to see kids swear the implication of kids swearing the the way they kind of treat the subject matter of like how dw thinks it's just a word that's going to make people break things on command and all of that stuff yeah, kind of yeah it's like a magic word the, the arthur's use in this episode is fantastic like arthur's just like manic energy at uh, him like shaking his head when he's pouring the water or him like beside himself when she tells it to him the first time he's great i like nadine in this episode i love the tibbles in this episode um are of course throwaway character of the week the 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 beep the the whole opening sequence the altos we didn't even talk about the altos um i mean we kind of did yeah great just great episode yeah agreed and it's a great way to end off season eight can't believe that we're we're already here and as we talked about before this is the end of my personal journey with arthur everything beyond this happened after i stopped watching it was it, like literally it starts with season nine i have no idea what's coming so other than like a couple of episodes which are a bit more the famous ones i guess or the infamous ones um there's a lot that i don't know and i'm kind of trying to keep myself in the dark so that i can give you my honest uh, opinion and uh that'll be fun as we get ready to roll in 2020 uh with a new season of arthur here on uh, elwood city limits so, yeah, we're getting close to the end of the year. This is going to be coming out uh, around the 20th, and in a few days it's going to be Christmas, and then it's going to be New Year's. So, just to let you know, we do have this episode here that you're listening to. Uh, before the end of the year, we're going to be giving you the Season 9 recap episode, where we're going to be talking, or excuse me, Season 8 recap episode. Don't, don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about what we liked and what we didn't like about the season, and uh, we're also going to be talking about our top five, our personal top five of season eight, which episodes we liked the most and why. And then once we get into 2020, we'll be hitting the ground running with season nine. Uh, and again, I remind you, if you uh, have access to Arthur's Perfect Christmas, which is really easy to find, you just put it into Google like we did, uh, you can listen to our Arthur's Perfect Christmas commentary. This was our very first commentary that we ever did together. Um, the uh, Apologies if the audio is a little bit low, but we wanted to make sure that you can control it along with watching Arthur's Perfect Christmas. A great way to spend your holiday, and it's completely free here on the podcast feed. From behind the Patreon wall... Uh, to the bottom of your Christmas or holiday or whatever tree. Uh, We just want you to enjoy that and have fun this holiday season. And yeah, that's going to be it Uh, from from myself, Will, here at Elwood City Limits. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. We hope that it's happy. Uh, Have a great new year, and we will see you very, very soon. And for Lucas Mancini... All right. Merry <laughs> <laughs> All right. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs>